Ahoy, ahoy. Our guest today is Evan Burke. Evan is a speaker, trainer, and 17-year veteran coach who educates students, parents, coaches, and sports team executives and administrators on leadership development, coaching education, and building winning cultures. I believe you just recently wrapped up two esports ventures, and you're currently working with a couple of executive clients. So we're happy to have you, Evan. Welcome to Head Games. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Evan, you, you really have, I think, quite the career arc. How did you go from coaching fourth grade football at the Boulder Rec Center to coaching in the NFL in six years? You know, it was a really interesting arc for sure. I, I, if I would have told you that I had a grand plan, I would be lying to you. But what I did have was kind of a North Star or a vision for what I wanted to do in sports. I played in high school. I wasn't really great. And I attended the University of Colorado as a student, not involved in the football program, you know, had no inkling to be involved in the program and really just kind of had an itch to be involved in sports again and just be around competition. And I had this idea that I kind of wanted to start to pursue coaching and I didn't know where to start. And I don't have anybody in my family that was a big time football player. I don't have anybody in my family that coaches or is an executive for an NFL team. So my attitude was like, I'll just start. And so I started coaching for the fourth grade Cobras at the Boulder Rec Center. Unfortunately, we were 0 and six that oh, first year it, it was yeah it, you all know coaching from, from those humble beginnings it was all coaching <laughs> but i don't know if you guys know this about fourth grade football the most important thing is the pizza party at the end of the year <laughs> and we had ours at abo's in boulder and we absolutely killed it from there i started working at the high school in boulder fairview high school and wanted to get an opportunity to coach college. That was kind of like my goal was to get to that level and did like a, a letter writing campaign, con contacted every Division One, Division One AA program in America and got very little response. Probably a lot of form, like, thank you for your resume letters, one handwritten letter. And one thing that I did was I was coming back to Dallas, where I'm from, and I had called the three programs here in the area and just like, hey, I'm Evan Burke. I sent you a letter a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to be in Dallas next week. I'd love to come by and, and see, see you and meet you and introduce myself. Two of the programs told me, hey, you don't need to come by here. We're good. Um, <laughs> uh, and um, the director of football operations at SMU you know, had said, hey, come on up here. We'd love, mm -hmm. to, love to meet you. And that relationship kind of started. Uh, and it wasn't a job offer. It was really just them kind of telling me, hey, we have a volunteer ops position potentially available. I kept in contact with them, kept reaching out every two two weeks or so. And after about four, mo four months of just c consistent outreach, ended up getting an, an opportunity to be an ops intern that first mm. year at SMU and really was fortunate during my time there. I spent four seasons there, got to coach on both sides of the ball, offense and defense, did video, did operations. So I really had a really great experience there. Also got to go to school and get my master's degree. Mm. As great as all that was, you know, at some point it, it came, had to come to an end and, and it did after the 2009 season which was the first winning season for the SMU football program in 30 years uh, since the death penalty so it was all, coach, really, all coaching again 
all coaching again. <laughs> yes, thank you, Ben. And so I, I was told that I was not going to be able to return the next year. And this is very common in coaching, right? Like either your time as a grad assistant is up and it's time for you to go get a new job or, you know, coaches are hired and fired or take new jobs every couple of years. So I kind of felt bad for myself for about a day, which is okay. Like we can do that. We can have our 24 hours of sorrow. But I remember I was like very resolute after that. And I was like, okay, so I'm going to try and get a job in the NFL. I'm going to give this like a four month go. If I don't get that, I'm going to like start looking at other schools and basically didn't know anybody. I didn't know anybody in the NFL, didn't know any coaches or executives or just anybody that worked for a team. So what I did was I made a spreadsheet of all the people in my network in every place they had worked. And then I made another spreadsheet with every employee in the NFL that I could find and everywhere they had worked from like 1970 to 2009. And any place I saw a crossover where this coach that I knew coached with another coach or was at the same team mm. as some player personnel or some executive, I would write a handwritten letter. Uh, and basically just introducing myself and telling them I wanted to break into the NFL and I want to meet them and I'm going to be in Mobile, Alabama for the Senior Bowl. And I ended up writing 450 handwritten letters Holy to shit. all the people on this uh, spreadsheet. And that got about 12 responses, three of which which ended up like leading to interviews. And that was kind of the, the way that I got my foot in the door with the Miami wow. Dolphins and Ended up spending uh, the 2010 season with them. Jeez, wow, man, that's a three percent response rate. This is this is a lesson for anybody who's listening. Everybody wants to be great. Everybody wants to work in the NFL or whatever. This is what it takes. Yeah, this is what it takes. It takes persistence and just going out there, you know, contacting people, sending spreadsheets, handwriting 450 letters. But hey, look, man, like. You, you did it. You, I yeah. mean, I think you seem to really set a goal and like you made it, you coached to, you know, the Miami Dolphins. Yeah. And, and you know, that was a great experience. And I think the one thing I just want to point out was like, I, <laughs> I was self-aware enough to know that I wasn't going to be able to just like get one of these jobs. I was going to have to do something a little different. It's very common in coaching to have a dad that coaches or to be a former player and obviously have those relationships throughout the years. I didn't have that. So how was I going to set myself apart? And again, you know, that started with the spreadsheet, but I also went to the senior bowl, uh, which is the, you know, the senior all-star game they play every year in Mobile, Alabama. And I had like a plan, like in December, I started writing these letters. I told them I was going to be at the senior bowl. I like stapled my business card to like a weird place on every letter. So that it was just like different, right? It was just like, you know, they had to, they had to rip off the business card. It was just like, I was doing little things that I had no idea if they were going to work or not, or if anybody was ever going to read these. But I made like a top 10 list of the top 10 people I wanted to connect mm. with at the senior bowl. And I ended up meeting eight of those people. And it's not just, it's like any big conference you go to. It's not like you just show up and you're like, Oh, I want to connect with Brett. <laughs> like, it's not like that. Uh, you know, you have to go find these people. And then 
also kind of have the awareness enough to be like, oh, okay, so that's the head coach, the general manager, and the head of player personnel for the Denver Broncos. I'm not just going to walk up and, like, right. inject myself hey! in the say, yeah. howdy, guys. <laughs> Remember me? Um, so, you know, the, the handwritten letter writing was good because those people I was connecting with that I had no connection to except yeah. that they knew somebody that I knew, it was great because when I approached them and introduced myself, you know, they would all, they oh, Oh, you, you're the one that you're the guy you're the guy <laughs> that won't leave us alone so yeah I ended up meeting my connection at the Miami Dolphins that ended up helping me get that job as well so I, I wish I could say that like I knew all this stuff was going to work but I was just trying a bunch of different things and just trying to have as many conversations yeah. as I could and got really fortunate I think a lot of success in life is timing and and that was an instance where not only did was a hard work there, but also the timing worked out as well. Yeah. Well, like you said, timing and hard work. And in, in this case, they really aligned. I mean, you obviously worked your ass off to get there. So I mean, you talk about having this North star of making it to the NFL, which you did. That's absolutely incredible. So then what, well, then what happens? Like what, what, what's next? You get to the league, you're at work with the dolphins and where do you I, go from there? Yes. So I spent a year working with the Miami dolphins started in the video department, but actually got moved to special teams assistant early in the year. I had started helping those guys, not a video guy. I was just trying to get into the building yeah. and kind of do the exact same thing I did at SMU, right? Like my first year at SMU, I'm passing out Chick-fil-A's and monitoring study <laughs> hall. And, and, you know, I was going to do the same thing. Thing there and so was really lucky in that instance coach John Bonamago who was the special teams coordinator gave me an awesome opportunity and after that season I had an opportunity to come back to the Lone Star State where I'm from and I worked at McMurray University in Abilene Texas we were in the process of uh, going from a division three team to a mm. division two scholarship team <laughs> after three years there I ended up having another chance to to move and, and moved out to Los Angeles to work with the quarterbacks at UCLA. So that was kind of the rest of the, the coaching career. And after two years at UCLA, which was fantastic, absolutely loved living on the West Coast. And I, and I thought UCLA was a great place to work. But I had kind of like a moment where I started to kind of question whether I wanted to continue down this path of coaching professional and, and high-level collegiate football. And the moment was... So it, it wasn't like anything, like it wasn't anything profound to anybody else. But for me, it was very profound. So I'm a meticulous note taker. I've taken notes in every football meeting I've ever sat in. And we were late in the season, probably like ninth or 10th week. So, you know, you're starting to get a little tired of everybody and, and just the grind of the season. And I just remember everybody was uh, filling into the team room to have a meeting and I'm usually sitting there five minutes before the meeting starts. And I just remember it just hit me very hard. Like, I do not want to go into this meeting. Hmm. Not only do I not want to go into this meeting, I don't know if I want to be here anymore. And so, you know, I wasn't going to just walk out the door, but it really was just kind of like one moment. I had never had that before. And I think if I had to just kind of like describe it as succinctly as possible, it was really that the North Star of wanting to be the head coach at the University of Colorado no longer motivated me. And it literally just happened in an instant. The week before, I was all in. Everything I'm doing is building that platform to, to one day be the leader of the Colorado Buffalo 
football team. And then it was like this one morning, it just hit me and I no longer wanted to do that. And I just kind of knew that I, I wanted to do something else. I didn't know what exactly, but I kind of had a feeling like there's more that I want to do than just coach football. Not that I have any reservations about football coaching or, or uh, recommending somebody else go into it. I just knew that for me, I had had a great 12 years and I just no longer wanted to pursue that lifestyle. Hmm. But you did but, it. Uh, yeah. Yes, did but, but I did it. <laughs> so, you know, it was a really, for, for me, it was, I, I got to check a ton of boxes in terms of like the things I was looking for getting into coaching, like coaching against the Texas Longhorns, like coaching in the Rose Bowl, uh, coaching at a school, a, a university that was five minutes from where I grew up. And so, uh, add on top of that, the fact that all of my closest friends now are really from my football career mm -hmm. and the relationships I made there. So it was just really great. But as a coach, you're never really settled. Yeah. You're very nomadic your entire life. If you guys are familiar with Dabo Sweeney, he's the head coach at Clemson. He's had two jobs in his life. He's coached yeah. at Alabama and he's coached at Clemson. And that's very, very rare. Most coaches do not get to do that. And I think one of the things I started to look around at was the people I was surrounded by. And you start looking at, you know, they've made 15, 16, 17 moves in their life. Yeah. And, you know, if you are about that lifestyle and it's not a big deal, like it really works out for a lot of people. But that was a lifestyle that I didn't quite understand when I made the decision to pursue coaching. And I think that over a long period of time, you kind of look at yourself and you're like, I live in Santa Monica. Um, I'm kind of thinking that I want to do other things and I don't want to just sit in a dark room and watch film for eight hours a day for the rest of my life. And, you know, do I really want to move to small city in Iowa after this for the next coaching job. And, and so I made the decision to, to leave in February, 2016. And, and so there, like, I had an amazing experience in terms of my career, but it was just like at a point in time where when you have the ability to look at the uh, Pacific ocean every day, it starts, uh, you start to question like, okay, do I really want to leave here? I, I think this is a natural transition to asking you a little bit about your business now, right? So what you're doing now after entering your coaching career is all about taking people who don't have much background in leadership or coaching and basically teaching them, training them to become leaders and coaches. So how do you go about taking these, these folks who have no background in leadership, no background in coaching and, and training them, teaching them to fulfill this role? Yeah. And I think for, for me personally, like I've always really identified as a positive teacher as I have kind of like crafted in my own self-image is like, as a coach, I really thought that that was my authentic self. And I think early in my coaching career, I learned that I was trying to be other coaches that I had been under, but I'm not Coach Ortega for the St. Mark's wrestling team. He is his own self as a leader. I can't try and be him as a football coach. I can take certain lessons and certain 
things that I really like about his leadership, but I have to be true to myself. So I've really always viewed myself as a teacher. And about two and a half years ago, I really started to get into this space of leadership, coaching, and helping train younger leaders that either have had very minimal leadership experience or maybe having their first leadership experience, particularly with a lot of the esports teams that I was working with in Los Angeles. And I think that for me, like I said, I, I really identify with the teaching piece. And it's something that I always really enjoyed and like nerded out on throughout my coaching career. Um, I'm, I'm not the greatest X and O's coach. Like I'm fully aware of that. But one thing that I was always constantly learning and educating myself on was like the team building aspect, mm. the, the player evaluation aspect, like what are like what separates a good evaluator and what separates the really great players from the other talented players that just don't reach those levels of success or performance. And so I, I really started to, to do this probably, I would say about five or six years into my coaching career, which led me, you know, I wrote my, my master's dissertation on talent acquisition for college athletic programs. And I, I think that I really enjoy kind of like the research piece on team building and leadership and I really enjoy working with people. And it just so happens that I got into different spaces. Like I wasn't working with football coaches first. I was working with esports and I didn't know anything about esports. I I was coming in and I knew I didn't even know what the top games were until somebody had like explained what League of Legends and Overwatch or and Call of Duty was. Like I didn't even know that was a thing. So, you know, as I've started to work with esports teams and other leadership executives. That, that work for startups or, or companies, like I've really enjoyed that challenge, but the teachings are all the same. Everything that I did in my coaching career as a coach and, and learned about team building, I apply to the people that I work with now. And I think that's one of the great things about sports, right? Like everything is kind of interchangeable. The, the work ethic that it takes to be a successful high school or college player, that translates, that same work ethic translates once you hit the real world. So I've really enjoyed that aspect over the last two and a half years as I've really started to work with different types of clients and teams and companies. Yeah. I want to play contrarian because uh, that's just apparently who I am. But I mean, you really seem to, I, I think this is, I think it's true to say that you have acquired a lot of knowledge over the past, what, 14 years of doing this. I think you've picked up a lot, I'm sure, from from coaching. And you said you're into the research, you've got a master's degree in this, so you must have I'm sure like a body of knowledge and education around this idea of leadership. There's other research that says that, you know, we often tend to romanticize the effect that leaders actually have. We give them, you know, we give, we give leaders more credit than they're actually due. What do you say to this research? Is that true? Or do you think the effect of leadership is what we say it is? And it, it, it's not romanticizing it, but it is really speaking to the value of what a leader contributes to a team. I love the contrarian view. I'm happy to talk about that. So, you know, that's that's a really interesting piece because obviously I can only speak from my personal experience uh, in terms of like what I saw with different programs. And like I said, I have a lot of appreciation for my career because I've I've worked with 
like some of the worst teams in college football in terms of record. And I've also been able to be at places where they've been able to turn that culture around. So from my view, I think leadership does have a huge effect on the program and really everybody that is that is involved in a company or a program. I, I will say, though, that, you know, a leadership is a lot about bringing out the best in the people that you coach or the people that you lead. I think what happens is when we see either leaders, good leaders get off the track, or maybe people that are put in a leadership position uh, and maybe not have as much success or maybe just outright fail, I think they make the mistake of making it about themselves. And true leadership has nothing to do with that with that individual, even though they may be extremely impactful, it's about the people that you impact and the people that you influence. And so in in that kind of aspect, I do think that it's definitely at times can be maybe a little overemphasized or, or romanticized. But I think also that true leaders are ones that stand behind their team right? Like the, the team or the players or the people that you're leading, they're the ones that have to go out and perform. They're the ones that are on the ground level, really fighting that those day-to-day battles. You're really behind them, encouraging them and trying to unleash their true potential. So I think it's interesting. And I'm sure that that paper, I'm, I'm actually going to, uh, follow up with you and totally nerd out on that paper because I'd like to see what they look at. But from my personal experience, I've just seen what happens when you have kind of like a void of leadership or maybe not like the right direction of leadership. And then what happens with the same team when you get somebody in place that just knows exactly what they're doing. They have a structure, they have a process, and that can really kind of take the exact same players that weren't successful before and and make them a winning team. And I think that that it's the same players. And yes, it's the players that go out and make the plays, but it's about leadership to create that foundation that can allow those players to go out and make those plays and win those games. That makes sense. So it sounds, it sounds like you agree in the sense that it's, it could be a bit smaller than maybe how I think maybe popular culture has romanticized leadership, but important. Nonetheless, it is leadership. It really sounds like in your perspective is the catalyst to the engine of the team. So without it, it's critical. It's smaller than maybe what we want to necessarily attribute, but it's critical in the sense of getting the real power of the team moving. I think I'm saying that I identify with that, with, with what you just said and kind of that thought process. Me personally, I don't agree with that. I 100% think that the, the presence of leadership, whether we're talking about a car company that sells billions of dollars of product every year, or whether we're talking about a startup or a sports team, you cannot underestimate the impact that a uh, good leader, an impactful leader can have on those organizations versus having somebody that was maybe just put in those positions or maybe isn't the right person to lead in those positions. I mean, we see this all the time, right? Like we see certain people specifically in sports, right? These people get these jobs. They've had this track record of success everywhere they've gone. And then they become the head coach of these programs and they run them straight into the ground, right? Like, do you think 
the New York Jets have like some semblance of strong leadership presence or structure or like a certain way of how they do things or maybe even an understanding of why they win or lose games. I don't know Coach Gase. Fire personally. Adam Gase. <laughs> I don't know him personally. I'm not advocating for anybody to lose their job, but I am saying that what's going to happen, like, if Dabo Sweeney became the head coach for the New York Jets at the end of this year, like there is a good chance that he is going to go in there and completely flip that organization around. And it may not be reflected in the win-loss record at first, but it's more about the building of the culture. And I think that's why I feel like leadership has such an impact and plays a huge role. I mean, you even see this on, on Wall Street too, right? Like what happens when a really strong CEO retires? Does the stock price shoot up, you know, 10%? Of course not. No, it's like, oh my gosh, like they're losing their leader. They're losing the driver of this bus. Who knows who they're going to put in place right. for, for, the, for the next leader. And, and that's why you see like huge sell-offs at that point. And it's the same thing with sports teams, right? So I, I just, I'm... I'm saying that I identify with uh, the feeling that, hey, maybe we are romanticizing leadership, but I don't personally feel like that. I do feel like leadership from everything that you do, everything that you communicate to your team and building that culture is the most important thing hmm. that you do as an organization and as a leader. Okay. The most prominent, the most contrarian, that's fair. <laughs> and, and I think I'm open to it. To, to your point from before, Evan, I think you can think of some common, well-known, I should say, sports examples, right? Like most prominent in my head is the Warriors from going from Mark Jackson, having the same core of guys. They bring in Steve Kerr and they were good. Don't get me wrong. They were good with Mark Jackson, but there seemed to be this thing where he couldn't quite, he wasn't quite the guy to get them over the top, right? And they bring in Steve Kerr. He's got his whole idea about how he sets up his culture. He's trained with pop. He knows all these legendary coaches. He comes in and bam, suddenly they're dynastic, right? Even before they get Kevin Durant, arguably they're better in some ways before they get Kevin Durant. So I think you, you do see examples of the, the power that leadership can have. So I, just, I feel like that's a really interesting debate, right? Do we overweight or in, in your words, Evan, are we underweighting the power of leadership? Right, exactly. And, you know, the Warriors are an interesting example, too. And each situation is different. And I think, like, when you're looking at the seasons, right, like, those players that were on that that first Steve Kerr coach team, they were a year more developed. Right. So it's kind of unfair just to say, sure. like, oh, this was never going to happen with Mark Jackson. We don't know, right? But one of the interesting things about Steve Kerr, for, for anybody that's followed him, that was his first coaching job. Right. Like he had played and he had been a, an announcer and he had yep. been a general manager. Yep. And then that was his first coaching job and they win the championship. Yeah. And it's really interesting. I, I was reading one time about Steve Kerr talking about how he like basically how he learned to coach. Like hmm. what was it going to take? And what he did was he I had to identify like what his coaching was going to stand for. Okay. And I think that, you know, this is things that I do with, you know, my leader, uh, the leaders I work with, which is like, we need to define like who we are, who our core mm. values, what our core values are. 
because those are going to inherently become a part of the team. The especially when we're looking at like professional sports teams, and and I think this is true in the corporate world as well. You know, whether you're just leading a team, a, a group of people, or the whole company, that leader and the way that they conduct themselves day to day and what their their core values are is what everybody is seeing around them. So I think a lot of times we get caught up in like catchy slogans or like what we write on the wall in the gym. And honestly, that stuff means absolutely nothing. Mission statements mean absolutely nothing when we just rely on them to motivate us by, you know, painting them in the gym. That doesn't work. What you need is to come in, identify your core values. This is what Steve Kerr did before he even got that job. And then when he had identified his core values and knew what his program was, was going to stand for. Then once he did get that opportunity, and yes, he picked a great job. You know, I think he was deciding between the Knicks and the Warriors <laughs> yep, and chose the was. Warriors. And so yep. I think he did pretty well on that. Uh, and one of the cool things about the Warriors is, and, and I heard Steve Kerr talking about his values, and one of his values is joy. Hmm. And he talked about how he wanted his program to represent joy. And I think this is really cool because like Steve Kerr, if you look at his career playing, he played for Lou Olson at Arizona. They were four and 22 or something like that the year before um, he got there in like Lou Olson's first year. And he got to be there during like the first come up for the University of Arizona. And then in his pro career, he plays under... Bill Jackson, he plays under Greg Popovich. He just literally is around some of the top basketball coaches that, that, you know, ever over the last 30 years. Yeah. And so, but, but the interesting thing is he didn't come in and just say, oh, okay, well, you know, pop did it like this. So I'm going to do that too. He had to like, actually, you know, look within himself and decide what was going to be most important to him. And so he talked about joy. And the cool thing about that in the warriors is like, what do you think of when you think of Steph Curry? right? You almost think of him as like this joyous player. Like he's very, like he's always smiling. And like that team as a whole looks like a lot of fun to play with. And, you know, if you ever watch the Warriors, how can you, oh no, am I, am I off here? Because yeah, like I think one of their core abilities is to attract talent because you know, with a lot of these guys, like, I think it was with Durant, it was, he was Curry favored by Draymond Green. Draymond. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, the fact that he's able to do that and they missed out by not being in the bubble this year, by not being able yeah. to court these other players. But I think a, a, a big part of that is also the values that the team puts out there and says like, we have yeah. a lot of fun. And like, you know, you're the most ta- one of the most talented basketball players in the world. Where do you want to go? And what do you want to yeah. do with you? You want to win championships, but also you're right. You want to have fun and like, be a part of a joyous team. Hey, that doesn't mean that to, to win, you have to have fun. But like for Steve Kerr, it's one of the most important things. And the, and the Warriors obviously bought into that 100% from the moment he got there. I think just to echo the point, I mean, you, you see that even with new guys, like the Warriors just traded for Kelly Oubre. And so he's a new addition to the, to the team, new addition to the culture. One of the first things he says is he's just like, I'm so stoked to get there and like play with these guys and like see the, as you said, joy that they play with and to get into that system and just like soak it up basically, because 
there's such a reputation for the culture that that Steve and you know on down from the top that they've created, and that that just permeates out from everything they do. Yep, God, it's been a long week and year. The fact that I'm blanking on Draymond Green's name, <laughs> who's that? Dude, guy? they haven't they haven't played a game in like nine months. Yeah, okay, all right. Yeah, yeah. Last question for you, Evan. It's a two parter. So tell us a little bit about the esports industry. Tell us how you help coach in terms of leadership for the esports industry and tell us a little bit about the venture that you currently have. Sure thing. And, you know, when we're talking about esports, I think it's just always important to kind of note that there's really kind of two different, I guess, silos. You have gaming, which is really kind of like seeing people playing. You probably have seen, you're aware of like Twitch, where people can stream live, they're playing. And, and you know, sometimes it's like somebody dressed up in a costume, or maybe it's just somebody doing it for fun. And, and that's kind of what I consider gaming. And then esports is actually like competitive competitive gaming, right? So the like actual leagues, actual teams. And I was fortunate to kind of say similar to how I networked to get my job in the NFL, uh, a lot of cold DMs, cold emails that went unanswered. Thanks, but no thanks responses. But I got in with a couple of people and I just slowly started to um, learn about esports. So I didn't go straight in and say, hey, this is what I'm doing. It was more... It was more having conversations and just asking like, hey, I have an idea of kind of taking my football background and football coaching and, and kind of doing that in a leadership development style for the coaches here. You know, one thing to understand about esports is like, it's all very young. It's very young players, like sometimes like 17, 18 year old pro players, very young coaches. It's just a very young industry as a whole and really has obviously become mainstream here in the last few years. But there aren't a lot of Bill Belichick or Phil Jackson like models to use for your leadership within esports. And so my idea and I, and as I was meeting people and learning more and more it became evident that yeah, you know there's definitely a place here for leadership development and you know maybe in like some sense like almost like a mentorship, right? Like really helping people understand why they do certain things. I think that I've learned more about coaching in the four years since I left coaching than I did when I was in coaching. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, there's a couple of reasons for that. There's so much going on when you're a coach that you really never have like true time to dedicate to, mm -hmm. you know, learning things like, you know, how to listen better, you know, what is active listening, how to ask powerful questions that can, you know, make players open up to you. And I never learned these things when I was coaching. And so, these are just some of the things that I started nerding out on myself and using in my coaching. And it really resonated with the people that I was working with. And it's not even so much like telling people how to coach. It's more helping the leaders find their authentic leadership voice. Yeah. So it's not saying like, hey, you can't yell at players. But it's also saying like, hey, you can't not like hold players accountable. It's more kind of like, hey, so you yelled at a player the other day and that player completely shut down and basically ruined practice. Mm. So like, why did we yell at that player? Now, I kind of like to me, I get excited. I get really passionate about kind of like digging into that 
understanding the reasons behind it, and then just kind of doing uh, essentially like an evaluation of how could we have handled this better? This is definitely going to come up again. How can we do this? And I have my own core principles, right? We were just talking about that with Steve Kerr. So I have my own my own core principles that I kind of have, but I don't like say that everybody I work with has to have them. It's more kind of like, Hey, I came up with these, like you can steal them if you want, but like, if they don't speak to you, like then you having attacking problems as one of your core values, isn't going to have quite the same effect. But to me, like that speaks to me and everything that I'm about as a coach. So Hmm. that's kind of the work that I'm doing. And I think in esports, like I said, it's very young, but it's very exciting. I don't know anything about the games. I mean, I watch the games kind of like on Twitch. So occasionally I'll say something like in a meeting where I'll be like, oh, well, like you got to get the tank past the checkpoint or something. And I'll be like, oh, Evan, like, oh, wow. Ooh, big guy actually knows what he's talking about. Okay. So <laughs> this, I mean, this might sound stupid, but like, what does a coach in esports do? Is it somebody sitting next to the player telling him like who to talk shit to next? So a lot of it is much like any traditional sport, right? Like they're planning the day of the team. What are they going to say in practice? Um, sorry, in like practice review, uh, which is a very big thing in in esports. So you you practice against some of the other teams in your mm-hmm. league during the week, but you're filming that, right? And mm-hmm. so you're doing practice review. You're also kind of like, are we going to have a team meeting? What are we going to put in the in the snack drawer or the you know the snack shelf? And I'm. I mean, anything that a, that a professional or college coach would do is what the gaming coaches are doing and these esports coaches are doing. So a lot of it also centers around strategy, right? Like, you know, you can't just coach Kevin Durant and Steph Curry. You actually have to have like plays you run and like, you know, certain tactics that are being employed in the game. And one of the things that I've seen that's like really big, and I think this is true for all sports, but it's definitely big in in esports is communication and helping players understand how to communicate during the games. When I was working for the Los Angeles Gladiators, which is an Overwatch team in the Overwatch League, they had a mixed roster is what they called it. So they had players from all different countries. And so you kind of have two theories on team building within the Overwatch League because uh, it's such a big game overseas internationally and so you have korean players Mm. players from finland players from denmark players from canada america china all over the place in these games uh, or uh, on these teams and so like how do you get them to communicate with each other that can be a challenge too so it's a lot very similar to any traditional sports coach and kind of like what they do throughout the day but it's really kind of like managing the team on a day-to-day basis and, and handling the strategy techniques and fundamentals that are required to be successful in the games you know it's it's awesome like first of all i think the like ubiquity of sports and the ubiquity of psychology coming together for something really cool like you know 15 20 years ago no one would have dreamed that this would be a possibility and now like with the proliferation of, of both of these things it's really cool and this is such a cool venture and you know, it was great to have you on, I think, because it also relates to psychology. I will give you that article. I will pass on <laughs> any literature we have. It's one Please thing to do. look at Yeah. It it's one thing to look at, at somebody's resume and say, like, okay, you know, here's this guy who's, you know, had these opportunities to coach in college, NFL, esports. 
it's another to really hear about how people get there. And while I think your story is very much a story about grit, what I think was also important, what I'm taking away from it, and maybe what others might take away from it as well, is that you were honest with yourself at a certain point. You said, you know what, uh, you know, and it just happened sort of on the limb, but like you were honest when you said my North Star is no longer my North Star and you pivoted and a nod to Steve Kerr, like maybe you wanted joy, right? You were looking for something that got you out of bed in the morning. So man, thank you so much for joining us today. This was a, a great learning about what you do and about who you are and how you got there. We, I mean, we have nothing but the best wishes for you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for having me. This was awesome. Yep. Please rate and subscribe where applicable. And thanks as always to our editing team for putting together today's show. Evan, are you on Twitter? Do you want people to find you and bug you? I am on Twitter. Feel more than welcome to bug me. I'm at Coach Evan Burke. There you go. I'll bug you. We're at Head Game Psych. I'm on Twitter at Dr. Brett Levine. You can find that guy on Twitter at BD Rosenberg PhD. And thanks as always for tuning in.